All right, welcome into Surviving Paradise, the podcast that takes a sometimes serious, oftentimes humorous look at the claim by Jehovah's Witnesses that they are living in a modern day spiritual paradise. I am your host, Stacy Bauman, former elder ministerial servant and a little guy raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the 70s and 80s. Have a little bit of a frog in the throat. Hope that's going to be okay this week as we get a little silly. As I do, a bit of a warning. We try to have some fun here. We are, in fact, healing. Some people are at a different stage of how they feel about Jehovah's Witnesses. We are hoping you can find community here. Each episode has sarcasm, humor, and sometimes some pretty intense stuff, including tears. But please note, it is never meant to offend. All right, welcome into Paradise this week. I hope everyone had a fantastic pagan holiday season and an even better and safer new year. With that said, I've been a bit limited on time the past few weeks, intending to take a break and clear my head a bit, as I shared, only to find myself drawn into the rapid-fire new light coming from God's one and only organization here on Earth. I could barely keep up if I'm being honest, and I admit, I've been known to be emotional and impulsive, so with each new announcement from the heavens in 2023, I forced myself to take a little time contemplating all the details before bringing it to this crazy little podcast. Nonetheless, the ripples are already being felt in the spiritual paradise of Jehovah's Witnesses, as several people have already contacted me voicing their concerns or their hurts with some even telling me, yeah, that's it. Game over. They're leaving the organization that promises a fast pass into paradise. Oddly, the annual meeting information is just now seemingly hitting some Jehovah's Witnesses. I have to admit I haven't kept track of timing what can be seen and what hasn't. And then, of course, there is the whole thing with beards, which has surprisingly, and not something I could have seen coming, really rocked the world of some Jehovah's Witnesses as they're now starting to ask questions they hadn't really thought of before. And isn't that great? This is about to get good in paradise, and I am here for it and excited. With that said, and all the heavy information and the ongoing possibility that searching or disgruntled Jehovah's Witnesses may stumble on this little show, I decided this week it was time for something I had long held off on, the Jehovah's Witness Greatest Hits Grab Bag Volume 2. That's right, with limited time and the opportunity to reach out to new ears or faces or people, it was time, and I'm excited to dive into some of this information, especially, as I mentioned, with so many new people deciding it's time to re-examine this little organization. And frankly, the governing body makes it so easy. There are so many witnesses or ex-witnesses with content on the internet now, and no one should be surprised. The nine guys in New York make it so easy. We have an abundance of material to draw from, all courtesy of Jehovah's faithful slave led by nine guys in upstate New York. In fact, I have to say, there are so many nuggets of truth 
that can make a greatest hits list, and you know I like my list, that I go from downright giddy to overwhelming excitement to downright overwhelmed at times because there are so many things that I feel should be on any greatest hits list when it comes to the governing body and Jehovah's Witnesses. But we're going to take a stab. We're going to take a stab here at just some of those that I've identified for volume two. For those that may be new here or just curious about Jehovah's Witnesses, their most important belief structure and structures all revolve around the claim that Jesus Christ, he of the Bible, came to invisible kingly power in 1914, got used to his throne and his new gig for, it looks like, five years, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. Then in 1919, he told Judge Joseph Rutherford that he liked him and his publishing company better than any other religion on earth. So the international Bible students would be his choice to speak for him to the rest of the universe. That is the Jehovah's Witness belief system, system excuse me, in a nutshell. The judge then went on a bit of a PR campaign and changed their name to Jehovah's Witnesses in late 1931 after all of his predictions and the bearded Chuck Taze Russell's uh, predictions, as we might call them, completely failed. They lost their beards. They lost Chuck's name. They were now Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931. Such a relief that Jesus decided to give them their beards back recently. But, you know, for those of us who have been around a while, Jehovah's Chariot and stuff. <laughs> it's moving forward. Beards are back in. Kind of have to stop talking about that sooner than later. But what is truly important is understanding that Jehovah's Witnesses have taught and believed during the time period between their early days in the late 1800s and up to today. Remember, they claim Jesus chose them to preach and teach the rest of us, the entire universe. And so it's only fair for everyone to consider some of their finest moments during these last days now in year 110. In fact, there are few Jehovah's Witnesses who even know this stuff that I'm about to share. And I have to tell you, in my opinion, I think it's important that they do. These are some of the teachings they claim during that time period came from Jesus Christ himself. In fact, they demand that anyone who becomes a Jehovah's Witness must believe these things and they must obey these things. If you haven't considered an earlier episode of this show, Greatest Hits Volume 1, I highly encourage anyone new to those thoughts or some of those tidbits to please do so. I think you'll find it kind of entertaining. At least I hope so. But now, this week... I want to unveil more of the immense wisdom, the incredible teachings, the arrangements, publications, and more that come to us from the faithful and discreet slave of Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's now that I say welcome in to Greatest Hits Grab Bag Volume 2. Let's not waste any more time. Let's jump in. Warning for those that hate me laughing. I continue to get messages on that. 
I can only apologize so much. It's not even really genuine. I like laughing, but I'll do my best to not break out in laughter reading some of these tidbits from heaven. I'm just going to say I'm a human. I may not be able to hold back. Let's jump in. My first entry on the Greatest Hits Volume 2 is titled, All Things Pagan. We're going to discuss what it means to be pagan. We can always say it and everything we don't like is pagan. This is directly from the word, the mouths, I should say, the words from the mouths of the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. Pagan. If you don't like something, it's pagan. Who doesn't love a good a la carte menu? Are you like me when you go to a restaurant, you want to choose and put your own pieces together? Gotta say, I'm really big on that with breakfast menus. There's nothing like picking and choosing what you want to eat and what you have no interest in tasting at all. And with that, welcome to the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. When you seek to control every moment of a person's life, every habit, every event, you must get them to conform. And so they love Christianity a la carte. Conscience and thinking ability be damned. They want those things too. The entire religion features a type of reasoning you can only get from an assortment of men with constant changing faces and experiences and backgrounds that spans many, many decades. Nonetheless, we are told Jesus chose them personally. For every kid that grew up a Jehovah's Witness, we know the phrase well. Say it with me. Well, little one, or well there, Johnny, or Susie. Ah, that's pagan. And almost everything we wanted to participate in as a kid, even as an adult, that we wanted to wear, that we wanted to listen to, that we wanted to watch, on and on the list goes, we were told, well, that's pagan. And so it has to be on the list of greatest hits. And even at a young age, I found myself thinking, uh, what can't we trace back to something pagan? I thought that as a teenage guy. Outside of anything that was overtly Jewish or Hebrew or came from the Israelites or was found in the New Testament, uh, it obviously and could easily be said that it was contaminated with paganism. It made no sense to me. Literally everything. And this entire format of how they reasoned on things could so easily be dismissed as having pagan roots. And it never made sense, and it still doesn't. There's literally an endless list of things I could point to here as being pagan by their standards, but I'm just going to here, in the interest of time, consider a few examples and how the governing body reasons on them and how it leads to something that you have to believe is by design. They want to control people. They want to control what they think, what they say, what they do, even the smallest things in life, silly, small things that we take for granted. They try to tie to paganism. Therefore, for a Jehovah's Witness, it's off the menu. Christianity a la carte.
We're going to eat this. We're not going to eat that. We're going to eat that. We're not going to eat this. You see it in almost everything the governing body does and teaches. Let's dive into a few examples. The Awake of 2003, September 22nd, on page 24, we get a quote every Jehovah's Witness should hold on to. It says there in the Awake, quote, A main concern is not what the practice meant hundreds of years ago, but how it is viewed today in your area. End quote. I'm going to repeat that. Because, folks, we have a precedent in print. And I wonder out loud, not so much, I'm being facetious, how many Jehovah's Witnesses realize this, that when it comes to making a decision on an event, uh, a grooming style, uh, a practice, even inanimate objects, they say this, Awake, 2003, September 22nd, page 24, quote, a main concern is not what the practice meant hundreds of years ago, but how it is viewed today in your area. End quote. Could this be the beginning of reasonable, thought-out concepts from New York? Don't get too excited yet. <laughs> Don't get too excited. Could, could, if you're wondering like I am at this point, could this be an endorsement of for the rest of us to use our actual brains, our thinking ability, just hold tight. Hold tight. Because the same faithful slave in upstate New York who wrote that in 2003 also says the following. You can find what I'm about to share with you on their website at this very moment. It's under the About Us Frequently Asked Questions section that features the title, What Happens at a Jehovah's Witness Wedding? The subheading in question, Will rice or confetti be thrown? Question mark. Quote, this from the governing body says, quote, no. In some places, people throw rice, confetti, or something similar on the newly married couple. They believe that this will bring the couple good luck happiness, and a long life. But Jehovah's Witnesses avoid practices connected with superstition. This includes invoking good luck, which conflicts with Bible principles. End quote. And so the conflict begins in the minds of anyone who has at least two brain cells firing. You've told us that it doesn't matter what does it mean in your area today. Everything's pagan, but you don't need to look at that. And then, featured in 2024, if you just throw some rice through the air, you are involving yourself with demons. Using just the example of confetti and how demonic it all is, it begs the question, when you throw confetti, are you wishing someone good luck? It's an honest question for anyone listening. Are you invoking superstitions? No, you say? It never crossed your mind? You just like to throw some rice at people? <laughs> Welcome to the life of a Jehovah's Witness in a very tiny snapshot. You may like watching colorful paper excuse me, fly all around you when somebody breaks a ball in a ballroom and confetti flies everywhere. But did you know that that colorful paper is actually evil? <laughs> 
every holiday, every birthday celebration, and even inanimate objects like confetti, little pieces of paper, or rice that you throw, they are off limits to a Jehovah's Witness because they're all tied to pagan history. You see, it's all pagan. Again, all the while, no one stops to think that outside the Jewish lifestyle taught in the Bible or anything in the New Testament, almost everything on planet Earth is going to have ties to some pagan belief system or to pagan people or to a land that someone considers pagan. Folks, pull out your iPhone or your, uh, your cell phone in general. Open the calendar. We use it daily. That too is pagan, named after pagan Roman gods. That's right, they tried to change that at one point. See a past yearbook. They literally tried to change the calendar because it was pagan. For the ladies, the lipstick that you apply, or the fellas shaving your face, or really shaving any part of your body, they're all pagan. These weren't things practiced by people in the Bible. And, and as far as hair, I'm not getting into it. We've covered it a lot recently. <laughs> but for a witness, everything that they may encounter at an innocent event, an innocent celebration, has ties to some pagan belief, and therefore it's demonic. You're invoking the demons, superstition, and good luck. It's just a stunning example of how these guys reason after just saying, eh, what does it mean today in 2024? Probably not a big deal. Oh, but not confetti <laughs> or not rice. But on our Greatest Hits Volume 2 list of all things pagan, I want to consider a few more examples. And I'm wondering how many most Jehovah's Witnesses are even aware of. You'll note that the governing body soon to be taken in a twinkling of an eye and judge all of mankind from their heavenly thrones, doesn't miss any details when it comes to daily life on earth. We already know how they feel about haircuts. I'm sure there's more than one sister that can tell us about how they feel about hair colors. Bright ones can't do that. They'll tell us how they feel about texting. There's entire awake articles. They, of course, really want us to avoid self-pleasure or touching ourselves. They'll tell us about recreation. They'll even tell us about our own thoughts and how to think. There is a long list of things I could go into and how it all leads back to things that are bad, most likely pagan, but I've here picked a few favorites that are, of course, all pagan. How about how you drink beverages with friends. Ever thought about that? Jehovah's Witnesses have, most especially Jehovah's Witness leadership. Uh, and, and when I say friends, anyone listening knows that that means only the friends they approve of anyway. <laughs> but how you drink beverages with friends has come under the spotlight if you're the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. And so on my list of things that are pagan in greatest hit number one, Let's discuss toasting. That's right, toasting someone. You remember what happens when you're at a celebration or perhaps at a work event, perhaps it's a wedding. Whatever the case may be, people raise their glasses in honor of those people who've had 
or done something successful or have announced their love and they clink glasses. This sounds terrible. It in fact is. It's pagan. From the Watchtower of 2007, February 15th, page 30, under my all-time favorite, questions from the readers. My kind of people, always thinking and asking questions. Someone sent in to the governing body and God, diverted them from some probably natural disaster or maybe it put off the end for another couple days with a question like this. The Bible does not mention toasting. So why do Jehovah's Witnesses avoid sharing in toasts? Great question. Seems like an important one. And now for the answer. Quote, what though is the background of the custom of toasting? Does that matter in 2020? Never mind. Back to the quote, the Watchtower of January 1st, 1968 quoted the Encyclopedia Britannica, volume 13, page 121, and said, the custom of drinking health to the living is most probably derived from the ancient religious rite of drinking to the gods and the dead. The Greeks and Romans ate meals, poured out libations to their gods, and at ceremonial banquets drank to them and to the dead. The encyclopedia added, intimately associated with these quasi-sacrificial drinking customs, must have ever been the drinking to the health of living men. Is that still valid? The 1995 International Handbook on Alcohol and Culture says, Toasting is probably a secular vestige of ancient sacrificial libations in which a sacred liquid was offered to the gods, blood or wine in exchange for a wish. Didn't Jesus do that? Back to the quote, a prayer summarized in the words, long life or to your health. Interestingly, worshipers of Jehovah at times raised their hands and asked for a good outcome. They lifted their hands to the true God. Now pay close attention to this part of the quote. Many people today who share in toasts may not think that they are requesting response or blessing from some god, but neither can they explain why they lift their wine glasses heavenward. Nevertheless, in fact, they do not think the matter through is no reason for true Christians to feel obliged to imitate their gestures. End quote. 2007, a pearl of wisdom on a very important matter, toasting other people. And there you go. Jehovah's Witnesses cannot raise their glass at a dinner event or they can't clink glasses because they can't explain why they're even doing it. That was the reasoning in the paragraph. And I can't help but liken it. It's kind of like athletes can't explain why they huddle or, or why a group of athletes give each other a high five. I don't know. <laughs> this must be very bad. It must be pagan because non-Jehovah's Witnesses did it at dinner parties in the past when they were worshiping their gods. And again, we've already got the council about what does it mean today? And they didn't worship Jehovah. So it's got to be bad. I couldn't help but think when I first stumbled upon this, never mind that those same people also use this thing called fire. Oh wait, I guess that was okay for Jews and even Jehovah's Witnesses today. So fire up that campfire if you'd like. 
but be careful. Pagans used to burn people with fire. <laughs> and this is the type of reasoning that a Jehovah's Witness faces. There's all kinds of terms for this. I'll try not to cuss that much, but you know what I'm thinking. Nothing looks more awkward or says, hey, that guy over there is in a cult, like being at a happy gathering where people toast someone and you just refuse to participate because you're a Jehovah's Witness. It really, really draws people to Jehovah and makes his organization look attractive. Not weird at all. I'm sure the bride and groom didn't notice anything. <laughs> I'm sure they felt good about it, right? And of course, no one doing it could explain why they were toasting. That was the reasoning. That's what the governing body said. Really? I'm pretty sure when people toast, they know why they're toasting. They're happy for someone on some level or some event or some accomplishment. And this is the life of a Jehovah's Witness. Right down to toasting someone becomes a matter of life and death, sin or non-sin. Despite the fact that they've even reasoned on this, and that's why it's a greatest hit, because it shows the absurdity of these guys. The simple act of enjoying a dinner party or an event and raising your glass to show respect, joy, or even love, again, think weddings, is strictly prohibited by Jesus, guys, during the last days. And keep in mind, this is despite their own words that I read from the Awake of 2003, where someone on Jesus' staff apparently had a weak moment and actually encouraged people to use their brains. It's truly an unbelievable example of how all things pagan becomes the fallback for these guys when people just want to take part or participate in something incredibly simple and with joy in their heart. But I gotta tell you, we have more in the greatest hits. Let's call it pagan entry category. Did you know, did you know, if you're a Jehovah's Witness or a former Jehovah's Witness, that Jesus Christ himself is very concerned with boogers? I'm, I'm not kidding. Boogers, snot rockets, loogies, whatever you wanna call them and more. Jesus turned his attention at some point in his kingly reign to, to boogers. When you're planning a universal genocide and directing a life-saving work that could end any second now, maybe during this episode, it's important for your chosen people to know what to do when they have a runny nose or hay fever, allergies, or just want to pick their nose. Nothing distracts people during the last days like a sneeze. That's right, sneezing, as it too puts you in danger of participating in something that's rooted in false religion. And we all know what's going to happen to false religion, right? And so in my greatest hit entry on all things pagan, consider the act of sneezing as told by the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. You know what I'm getting at. Anyone who's been a witness knows what I'm getting at. Somebody sneezes. They blow snot. They spray. Hopefully they cover their mouths. We've had a lot of changes to that over the last two, three years. People have gotten a little more cognizant. And what naturally happens next is someone nice says, Oh, you sneezed. Well, bless you. Bless you. It's a really big deal. 
It probably made you uncomfortable if you were a Jehovah's Witness. You certainly didn't say it to someone when they sneezed and covered their mouth. From the Awake of 1990, June 8th, pages 21 through 23, a very important set of articles under the title, Hold That Sneeze? is the question. <laughs> the quote, In many lands, is it a custom for those standing nearby to say, Bless you, to the person who sneezes? Where did such a custom originate? According to the book, How Did It Begin? by R. Brash, some ancients believed that when a man sneezed, he was nearest to death. Brash adds, the fear was based on an erroneous but widely held notion. Man's soul was considered to be the essence of life. The fact that dead men never breathed led to the fallacious deduction that his soul must be breath. It is thus not surprising that from the earliest days people learned to respond to a sneeze with apprehension and the fervent wish to the sneezer. <laughs> That's a great name for a band, the fervent wish of the sneezer. Is that a heavy metal band? I'm sorry. Back to the quote, that God may help and bless him and preserve his life. Somehow, in medieval times, this early origin of the custom must have been forgotten because it was Pope Gregory the Great who was credited with having introduced the saying, God bless you, to anyone who sneezed. End quote. Thank you, governing body. Greatest hits, all things pagan, sneezes, and boogers. But aside from that all-important spiritual direction, Jesus was also sure to include some practical advice through his faithful slave. The article continues, quote, Please remember your handkerchief. Quote, It may surprise you to learn that sneezing has been put to criminal use. Yes, lawbreakers have devised ways of using or misusing sneezing for evil ends. About a hundred years ago, certain thieves in England came to be called Sneeze Lurkers. <laughs> There's the band name, Sneeze Lurkers. Back to the quote, they would throw snuff into a stranger's face. Then, while he was distracted and racked by a fit of violent sneezing, the thieves would rob him of his valuables. <laughs> Most of us will never have sneezing induced by a face full of snuff you think? But whether overtaken by a sudden sneeze or a prolonged sneezing attack, the thoughtful person will always use a handkerchief or strong tissue to cover his nose and mouth. Not only is this a display of good manners, but it is also a sensible precaution. It helps to guard against spraying the air with germ-laden droplets just waiting to be inhaled by the next unsuspecting person to come along. Neighbor love would also dictate that we try to protect our other selves and others from disease by doing everything we can to limit the spread of germs, end quote. The governing body coming through with something that is a pagan practice saying, I bless you, God bless you to someone who just blew snot into a rag 
but they also want us to know that it's good manners to cover your face. You see, even sneezing, as noted from this Awake article, has an evil history. I know that shocks you. Everything and anything under the sun can be traced back to pagan influence or acts of violence. Someone sneezing in someone's face and stealing their wallet. But this is the life of a Jehovah's Witness. From your haircut, to your pants, to your fingernail polish, to, to makeup and cosmetics, to the car you drive, it too was built by pagans. Pagans are connected and have a strange relationship with all things Jehovah's Witnesses. But as you've seen in June of 1990, during these all-important last days, please don't spray people with your snot. And whatever you do, don't ever say, God bless you, or say thank you to someone who may say it to you. The demons are watching, and they get very happy when a Jehovah's Witness caves in and recognizes someone else sneezed. And there you have it. In another entry under All Things Pagan, Jehovah's Witnesses concerning themselves with sneezing because the governing body wants you to know its history. Never mind that sneezing is natural. It's been around since the dawn of time. Some would even say it's very healthy. The governing body says that any answer to a sneeze other than ignoring it or awkwardly walking away could find you sinning. This is very serious stuff. Okay, but one more. One final example on all things are pagan. Who doesn't love the peaceful sounds of wind chimes on a breezy day? I got to admit, it's a simple pleasure that I really enjoy. I like wind chimes. It reminds me of my childhood in the 1970s. Everyone back then had one. You could walk through the neighborhood. In our case, we lived in some eh, pretty rough apartments. It didn't matter. A lot of single mothers, they all had beautiful wind chimes. And I would find myself listening to wind chimes as I was outside playing. And little did those people know, though, that they were literally fighting off Satan and his demons with their wind chimes. That's right. The same guy that lived in heaven that tempted Jesus Christ, he caused storms that got Job's kids killed, and is willing to brazenly fight Jehovah himself one-on-one. -on -one. Did you know that that same guy, Satan, and his demons, well, they, they get really scared when they hear a wind chime. <laughs> this really rattles Satan and his guys. Wind chimes, they too are pagan. <laughs> From the Watchtower of 1981, June 1st, page 31, again, question from the readers, the gift that keeps giving, quote, many persons have used wind chimes to give a pleasant musical aspect to the home. When the wind blows, the glass, metal, or wooden pieces hit against one another to produce the sound. However, it is the custom in some countries to put up wind chimes with the thought that they will keep evil spirits from entering the home. Obviously, a Christian would not make use of wind chimes for such a purpose. So, if there is a superstitious belief in one's country or community, 
it would not be wise to have a wind chime in the home. Thus, no one will be stumbled or given the impression that Jehovah's Witnesses make use of wind chimes for some unscriptural purpose. However, if one's motive in putting up a wind chime has nothing to do with false religion, superstition, or demonism, and there is a little possibility of others getting the wrong impression regarding its use in the home, it is a simple matter for personal decision. End quote. <laughs> you might be thinking, wind chimes. Okay, but, but also we were just talking about sneezing. Hey, bless you. Well, thank you. Bless you too. That apparently is incredibly evil. Wind chimes, if no one thinks you're fighting Satan and his demons with your wind chime, then you're allowed to have one. It's your call. And again, welcome to the Greatest Hits Volume 2 of Jehovah's Witnesses. Wind chimes, sneezing, throwing rice at a wedding. Some are good, some are bad, some are up to you, some aren't. Some are going to get you killed at Armageddon. It really comes down to what the governing body says about it. Behold, Jesus' chosen men on earth. I'm fairly sure no one believes in voodoo dolls or that Smurfs can speak and run down Kingdom Hall aisles or that they're demons at all. But Jehovah's Witnesses weren't allowed to have those either. They weren't allowed to have those either. Some things are okay, some are not. Some are conscious matter, some are not. Sneezing and watching someone spray boogers, don't say God bless you. Having a wind chime because it sounds pretty as long as you're not trying to fight the demons with it is okay. Welcome to Jehovah's Witnesses. I could go on and on, but those are some of my favorite hits on all things pagan influence and pagan background. But most importantly, how the governing body reasons with millions of people about things that should not matter whatsoever, and they certainly don't carry the weight of any religious indoctrination or practice from centuries gone by. Doesn't matter. Trees went down, paper was created, and millions, if not billions of pages were printed with this life-saving information for Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you. In 2024, no word from Jesus on that yet. Men are still getting haircuts and ladies are still applying cosmetics. Still silent. Stay tuned. As we know, new light comes rapidly in God's organization. Let's move on to what I consider to be Greatest Hits, Volume 2. It's an entry that cannot be overlooked. This one is big for me on a whole bunch of levels. I will try to be as brief as possible, but my second entry in the Greatest Hits set is this. I am a Jehovah's Witness. I love my neighbor, but I'm not going to help him or give to charity. <laughs> it's an interesting flex by God's guys. This makes Greatest Hits Volume 2 because it might rise to the top of all things utterly absurd given to witnesses by the governing body. While I can share that I've seen many, many witnesses be very kind and give to homeless people and others in need, for the most part, Jehovah's Witnesses are told two things 
They're told two things when it comes to all things charity. One, we give to our neighbors by standing next to book carts and offering books, giving them a choice to live in a paradise earth or be killed. <laughs> and two, please send all financial resources not to a charity of choice, but to the governing body in New York, they will decide how to use those resources, even if it includes your fellow Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've oftentimes sat back and thought, well, that's exactly what Jesus intended when he gave the golden rule. <laughs> that's exactly what he meant. How to help people and how and when not to. But before I get into those two reasons, please note that if you want to give to someone in need, you're likely hiding secret sin, or maybe you're someone plagued by a guilty conscience. You heard that correctly. If you're just someone that wants to give and help someone, and you want to give your resources, your time, whatever it is that they need, there might be something really wrong with you, including secret sins. That's right. You want to feed or help someone like the Good Samaritan. Also a story from Jesus, I might add. You want to protect, protect a child or mend someone physically that's hurting, physically, emotionally. Well, I got news for you. According to the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, and it makes our entry in Greatest Hits Volume 2, you, my friend, either have one hell of an ego problem, as you'll come to see, or you've done something wrong and you're trying to make up for it. What are you hiding, you secret sinner? From the Watchtower of 1969, May 1st, page 280, in what I have to now put on my top 10 favorite quotes from Jehovah's Witnesses, we are told this on all things charity. Quote, If there is any material giving to charities, for instance, it is because there is a need to solve a conscience or because one's reputation is at stake. End quote. <laughs> All this time, we thought Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan was for our benefit. It was a powerful story. We were to follow his example. Little did any of us know that the Good Samaritan himself was nothing more than apparently an egomaniac looking to boost his reputation with the guys that, I don't know, walked by the guy laying in the ditch. Or maybe he was trying to boost his reputation with the donkey he was riding. I don't know. Or maybe he just came from a hooker's house. He felt bad and he decided to help the guy in the ditch and ease his own conscience over what he just did with the hooker. I don't know. But the governing body tells us that if you want to give to charities, literally in print, it's because you're trying to salve a conscience or because you're trying to boost your reputation. Whatever the reason is, there it is in print, folks. If you want to give to charity and you're a Jehovah's Witness, it's because you've got some issues. You might be a bad person. Welcome to the spiritual paradise of Jehovah's Witnesses. But look, the guys Jesus chose in New York have rare insights, don't they? The story of the Good Samaritan was written for them personally, after all. The entire Bible was. 
So would you like to see how we should apply what I think is the best story in the entire Bible when it comes to giving, being generous, charities, something Jehovah's Witnesses are obviously discouraged from doing? The Watchtower of 2017, May, page 7, says this, quote, Like the neighborly Samaritan in Jesus' illustration, we want to help suffering people, including those who are not witnesses. Huh. The best way to do so is by sharing the good news with them. It is important to make clear right away that we are Jehovah's Witnesses and that our primary mission is to help them spiritually, not materially. Notes an elder who has helped many refugees. Otherwise, some may associate with us only for personal advantage. End quote. I have to read the elder's quote again. It's important to make clear right away that we're Jehovah's Witnesses and that our primary mission is to help them spiritually, not materially. Oh, you're hungry? No, I'm not going to give you food. How about this watchtower? The elder goes on to say, and he is apparently uh, experienced in helping refugees or people displaced by poverty, lost without any income, a place to live, food, water. He goes on to say, quote, otherwise, some may associate with us only for personal advantage. Using the story of the Good Samaritan when considering giving to charity or to those in need, the best way to do that is by standing next to a book cart in your local park as people who don't need your help walk on by with a Starbucks in their hand, awkwardly trying not to meet your gaze. That single mother trying to feed her kids or holding up a sign asking for financial help or food, well... According to this elder and to the faithful slave, we are to ignore her. Despite her child's immediate hunger and having no place to live, according to this wise shepherd and an elder, I might add, the guy given responsibility to watch over God's sheep, she is just trying to take advantage of you. What? Look, I'm not naive. I realize there are people that are. There's people out there that pose. But let's get realistic. This is Blanket Council, and it makes this greatest hits list because they want Jehovah's Witnesses to ignore people who need immediate needs in favor for what they want them to have. It's in print, and this reference is from 2017. People who may just benefit from kindness must also have an ulterior motive. Right? Right, sneaky people. And that is the message they want Jehovah's Witnesses to hear by putting this insulting, and let's face it, cruel, downright cruel stuff in print in 2017. You're not allowed or encouraged to feed the hungry or donate your blood. God knows we can't do that. It might save a life. Or just give money to a cause you believe in or volunteer at a food kitchen to help the unfortunate or the sick or even the handicapped? No, you're not to do that. Your primary life goal as a Jehovah's Witness isn't to offer practical help like we see in the Good Samaritan where he got him lodging, paid for it, mended his wounds, make sure he was well fed. No, 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 no. Not for a Jehovah's Witness. 
according to the governing body, your primary goal and gift to them is spiritual. And by spiritual, it means hand them our literature. And I got to tell you, this is grossly ignoring. I have a past episode, one of my favorites on the Good Samaritan, uh, a story that's considered a masterpiece, even by non-Christians. It's just ignoring the entire thing. But we're told it comes from the same guy who told the Good Samaritan story. And I got to tell you, the reason it makes this list is, is it doesn't it just highlight exactly how Jehovah's Witnesses view and feel about people. And again, painting with a broad brush, there are great Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the purpose in a lot of ways of the show, reaching the hearts of some of those folks, giving them something to think about. But as an organization, I'm reading from their literature here. This is how they view people. If you want to give charity, you got an ego problem, you might have sinned and you're just trying to make up for it. The people who may need something in practical terms are evil. They have an ulterior motive too. <laughs> and these are the very people they claim that they're desperately trying to save from impending doom. It's just a staggering look into what Jehovah's Witnesses are taught and believe about charity or giving to those in need, practical help. But it continues. Notice the dates on these. From the Watchtower of 2021, May, page 7, we get this, quote, People may also feel that we should build schools and hospitals as well as perform other charitable works. They are stumbled because we focus our effort on the preaching work, not on solving the world's immediate problems. Never should we become distracted by the political and social issues of this world. End quote. You read that and you can't believe what you're reading. It's in direct conflict with the Good Samaritan, the Bible itself, the entire personage of Jesus. If you're now wondering how giving to handicapped children or giving your money to disease research has anything to do with political or social issues, well, guess what? So am I. Never mind that Jesus was oftentimes exhausted mentally and emotionally, and he still, despite barely being able to keep his eyes open, weakened from no food or rest, he still gave to people in need. He didn't give them a book or a tract. He gave them practical things they needed, as they said in the Watchtower of 2021, things that were immediate problems. From John 6, 31 through 34 in the New World Translation, the book the governing body says they know better than us, quote, and he said to them, come, you yourselves privately into an isolated place and rest up a little. He's talking to his apostles. Back to the verse, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure time even to eat a meal. So they set off in the boat for an isolated place to be by themselves. But people saw them going, and many got to know it. And from all the cities, they ran together on foot and got there ahead of them. Well, on getting out, he saw a large crowd, and he was moved with pity for them, because they were as sheep without a shepherd, and he started to teach them many things. End quote. Same guy? 
When you're putting together a greatest hits list, the absurdity of all things charity and practical giving to those in need in immediate time is one of the most absurdly ridiculous things the governing body has taught millions of Jehovah's Witnesses. And they continue to do it to this day. They, they blatantly, as I mentioned from the Watchshare 2021, yeah, people will call us on the carpet all the time. They're critical. We don't build schools or hospitals. Nope. We're building an upstate compound with a television studio and a semi-amusement uh, park in parts of the world so people can see what we believe. None of this practically helps a starving child or a woman who's in danger or a man who desperately needs help and a place to stay. No. And yet all of it's in conflict with the Bible. But they continue. The Watchtower of 2003, June 1st, page 7, Giving That Pleases God is the article. We're told, quote, When it comes to organized charity, though, we need to be cautious as we evaluate the many appeals we receive. There is a kind of giving that is even more important than charity. Jesus alluded to this when a rich young ruler asked what he had to do to get everlasting life. Jesus told him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come be my follower. Notice that Jesus did not say, give to the poor and you will get life. Instead, he added, come be my follower. In other words, as commendable and beneficial as charitable acts are, Christian discipleship involves more. Jesus' chief interest was in helping others spiritually. End quote. Folks, I got to tell you, I went from laughing to anger. This verse in the Bible and what they just put in print to Jehovah's Witnesses shows the level of stupidity of these men. They took a story about a rich man who needed nothing, including practical help, and Jesus told him, look, go sell all that and give to who? Uh, do what? Give to the poor. Give to people in need. They spun that story and tried to make it that Jesus was saying, oh yeah, don't do charitable things. You must be a disciple. And by disciple in 2024, that means standing next to a book cart. Don't help a homeless person. A story that is literally about giving charitably to people in need, a guy rich with resources, they spin into a story that says, don't you dare do that. You must do things spiritually instead. A level of incomprehension I can't even wrap my head around. From nine guys that claim they're going to judge the rest of us. Talk about terrifying. A story all about telling a man, sell everything and give to people in need that they say isn't about that at all. <laughs> so apparently the New York Kings can't separate just helping someone in need versus turning them into one of their followers. That's what it comes down to. And that's why it's on the greatest hits list. It's really, truly a, either a comprehension issue or it's flat out evil as they're spinning the Bible stories that a child can understand into something it doesn't mean at all. It's truly a special nugget of Holy Spirit that a common, kind-hearted person just can't grasp when they're confronted with this with witnesses. Just an incredibly ignorant, misapplied pile of garbage that we're supposed to believe comes from Jesus himself to these nine.
The same guy that had nowhere to live healed the sick, resurrected pagan people. Oh my God, pagan, did we already discuss that? Provided fish and wine to the hungry and thirsty and did a whole bunch of other things. Same guy. Nope. Jesus didn't like organized charity, despite the fact commanding his apostles to gather items for people who were hungry and thirsty. And he instead wants you to hand out literature for the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Feel free to ignore everything he did in the four Gospels. They don't matter. He doesn't want you helping others, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. And with that, folks, I could say so much more. But it reaches a level of absurd I can't even wrap my head around. Jehovah's Witnesses, Greatest Hits, Grab Bag Volume 2, We Don't Give to Charity. We don't help people in practical terms. We help them in spiritual terms. And with that, it means handing them a book and inviting them to the kingdom hall. Okay. We move on to our third entry in the interest of time as the episode gets away from me. Uh, I'll tell you, any former or current Jehovah's Witness knows how important the district convention is or was in its different form back in the day. They used to be, for those of us too listening that may be too young to remember any of this, they used to be in massive football stadiums. And they were something that we as Jehovah's Witnesses, especially as kids and teenagers, we all look forward to for the entire year. It was the event we got to see other witness kids that we didn't, in many cases, know even existed. There was no internet, no cell phones, folks. We got to meet new kids. There was a buildup with the district convention. There was shopping for new clothes so you looked good. There was, of course, the arranging for a hotel room in a faraway city. And, and look, as kids, back in the 70s and 80s, it, it was really the big event. It was really the big event for us. Um, at least it was for me. I'm sure there's other people that felt that way, experienced that. In terms of the spiritual food, it's nauseating to use that term. There was the costume dramas. We always wondered, what will it be? Is it going to be Moses this year? Is it Abraham? What's it going to be? There was eating out at restaurants every night at the district convention. Oh, yeah. There was hanging out at the hotel pool with the other kids, the other brothers and sisters. Even back in those days, I mentioned it here before, for the old timers, we had live orchestras in the stadium playing kingdom songs. So cool back in the day. So cool. But folks, look. The district convention and all that surrounds it has changed a lot in recent times. And as I might mention, as this is going to be uh, entry number three in the Greatest Hits volume this week, there was the endless micromanaging of everything we were going to do there. And it's a subject for another day, probably its own episode, including everything from our dress and grooming, how to leave the hotel room when we checked out, even how to tip people service staff, waiters, the hotel staff. It's what a religion based on free will does, right? It micromanages. But if you want to look at just how much the governing body has micromanaged Jehovah's Witnesses, look no further than the example I'm going to use and try to get through number three in our entry of Greatest Hits Volume 2. I want to warn everyone at this point <laughs> that I'm going to be juvenile, okay? It's almost impossible not to be. And I want to warn those that are uncomfortable with discussing bodily functions that this is your chance to bail. 
I realize that might also be a great teaser. Some people are thinking, what the hell? <laughs> Stick around. I think you'll enjoy this. Well, by means of the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus, the King of Jehovah's Witnesses, has turned his attention to how young people pee and poop at the district convention. That's right. If you're absolutely baffled, I present to you Greatest Hits number three in the volume two entry, Jehovah's Witnesses Need to Watch When They Peep and Poo or They Face Death at Armageddon. If you have failed to laugh at the absurdity of this episode up to this point, I'm going to consider myself a complete failure if this next entry doesn't at least make you smile or bang your head against the desk. It is truly unbelievable stuff that witnesses believe is directed from heaven. Are you ready? The Watchtower of June 15, 1961, page 365, gave Jehovah's Witnesses this nugget of spiritual truth, sure to give you goosebumps. Quote, And you young people, what about your Christian manners? Do they show that you know your place and that you appreciate that you come to the congregation meeting place to listen? And to learn? Bad manners show a lack of respect for Jehovah God, for his word, for his congregation, and for your elders, including your parents. Some of you have the bad habit of repeatedly running out to the restrooms during meetings and conventions. Pay special attention here. Quote, you no doubt acquired this habit from the juvenile delinquents with whom you were obliged to rub elbows in the public schools and who use it as a means to give expression to their frustration and rebellion. Beware of imitating them. You know they will perish at Armageddon while you hope to survive it and live through it into the new world, do you not? End quote. Taking a piss at a congregation meeting or convention can get you killed by Jehovah God, according to the faithful and discreet slave. Did you know? Did you know this? And never mind that you were born with a natural need to relieve yourself. You must have picked this up from worldly people. The kids at school. Bad associations spoil useful habits. In this case, holding a good piss or a dump, holding on to it instead of just going to the bathroom or abusing your bathroom privileges. The leaders of Jehovah's Witnesses in 1961 felt horrible that these young people, or should I say these little enemies of God, that's right, they were all unbaptized minors, had to even go to school and be around kids who uh, were apparently expressing their frustration and rebellion by going to the bathroom a lot. Can you imagine this? 
your typical third grader is so pent up and ready to act like Satan himself, the chief rebel, that they head to the bathroom where they rid themselves of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich and apple juice in an act of evil rebellion. And damn it, Satan was successful in turning them to a life of sin as young as, who knows, five, six, seven, eight, by them just abusing bathroom privileges. But the worst part of this entire thing is that potential future Jehovah's Witnesses, future baptismal candidates, otherwise known as the minor children of baptized Jehovah's Witnesses, were exposed to this level of evil and evil behavior by going to school. A Jehovah's Witness kid was acting this way because they saw non-Jehovah's Witness kids acting this way. They abused bathroom privileges. Whether they had to go or not apparently is irrelevant. And where do I even begin? with such a nugget of Holy Spirit from the throne of Jesus Christ. When a kid just can't stand another district convention part or service meeting part, uh, talking about the United Nations, or he finds himself wondering who the hell is this harlot riding a red colored beast? Oh, by the way, I gotta take a leak. He is apparently, according to this reference, openly rebellious, like the kids at school, the little tiny people in kindergarten that this paragraph says, might I add, if you didn't catch it, will be slaughtered by Jehovah any day now. In fact, if you read it carefully and you really look at the tone, I'll give the reference again if you'd like, you get the feeling that Jehovah can't wait to do it because they had the habit of wanting to go to the bathroom. Then to land the point home, they hit those little poopers with a question like, you want to live forever, don't you? Causing what had to be abject terror in an eight-year-old who's about to shit his pants, but doesn't want to die, so he holds it until he has an accident. What? I make fun of this, but folks, kids at that age would hear this stuff and hang onto it as if it was literal. Who wouldn't? Apparently their parents were hanging on to it, as it was literal. I was one of those kids as well. How many bladder infections or cases of constipation did such wise counsel cause in little people among Jehovah's Witnesses? Look, I get it. They want kids in their seats. But imagine rolling this out with that wording to little kids. You're rebels who are living among the most evil people at school, who are obviously just taking trips to the bathroom because they're rebellious under the spell of Satan himself. And you don't want to die at Armageddon too, do you? <laughs> Better hold that piss you got to take. You're like worldly people. You're in Satan's clutches. You're going to be destroyed. And you're either bored and falling asleep or you're about to piss your pants. All this peeing and pooping at the meetings and kids making trips to the bathroom is the parents' fault anyway. Wanna, you want proof? <laughs> the Kingdom Ministry of May 1991, pages three through six, the tar titled article, 
arranged now to attend the 1991 Lovers of Freedom District Convention, says this, quote, Some children have acted in an undisciplined and unruly manner and have even been disrespectful to older brothers and sisters who have tried to correct them in a kindly way. Such unruliness and conduct unbefitting Christians is often the result of permissiveness and a lack of discipline in the home. It should certainly be corrected. All Christian parents should give close supervision to their children at all times as they bring them up in the discipline and mental regulating of Jehovah. End quote. So if you're keeping score at home in this entry on the Greatest Hits list, Volume 2, and you're working hard to apply such wise counsel, it goes something like this. You're a kid. You have diarrhea at the Kingdom Hall or District Convention. It couldn't have been from the high-quality food they were serving at lunch. Nope, that stuff was really good. But it, it hits you hard during another one of those amazing symposiums with life-altering information on how to slip a tract under a doormat at your neighbor's house. And you parents don't want their kid to miss that. You hold on to that pee or poop as long as you can, but well, it's reached critical mass. You beg your parents to go to the bathroom, and well, two sets of people are to blame for this entire horrible drama and sinful attitude. One, it's the other rebellious kids at school that also poop and pee but are apparently very frustrated and rebellious. And two, your parents, who haven't taught you manners, allowing your bowels and bladder to be unruly and, as the kingdom ministry said, permissive. Behold, anyone listening, the wisdom of the faithful and discreet slave class of Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> and I got to tell you, imagine the stress this put on parents, the really hypervigilant witness parents back in the day. I can just hear it now. Oh no, little Johnny wants to pee again. This puts him in line for death at Armageddon. <laughs> or the guilt you had as a mother that you're keeping your kid well hydrated or, or packed your famous uh, chili for lunch. <laughs> and now your kid's attitude is being questioned from the heavens. It's just so incredible that they devoted any amount of brain space, time, printed material, or anything to what I consider a greatest hit. I could go on for another hour, <laughs> but I think it's going long. I'll just have to say this reference is indeed a greatest hit. No one wants to take five minutes out of a Stephen Lett talk to run to the bathroom and take a leak. You might miss something really important, like how you're an enemy of God or how he just approved growing beards again. Who knows? And while it's obvious they're making a pathetic effort to teach young people manners mixed with a little bit of their own ego in there. They as always try to point to an ancient book to tie it all together and make sense. From the Awake of 94, July 22nd, page 7 through 11, under the subheading Manners Rejected by the New Morality, we get this, quote, The kind and considerate good manners learned by centuries of living are not excess baggage after all. And the Bible's guidelines for living are not outmoded at all, but will prove to be for mankind's eternal salvation. End quote. That's right, folks. 
Considering that reference and the earlier one from 61 about kids and their rebellious attitudes about wanting to go to the bathroom, when it comes to peeing and pooping or really any lifestyle decision, the Bible is modern and relevant for us today. I often picture some of the fun moments in paradise where the faithful men and women of old are resurrected. Imagine the privilege of showing Moses or Abraham a flushing toilet. Imagine having to counsel them during their Bible study. Uh, you know, the study I look back at things they themselves lived. What? Because they have to relieve themselves or they're just really enamored with the modern marvels of a flushing toilet and toilet paper. We can then review with them some of the faithful slaves' wise counsel during the last days on how running to the bathroom for any reason in the past put you in line as a rebel who may have missed out on this very paradise we're standing in because you had to take a crap. Jehovah killed them for it, so they missed out. So please, Noah, return to your seat under that palm tree. Uh, we were in the middle of reviewing the life you already lived from the book of Genesis because that's what we do here in paradise. And I got to tell you, even as a kid, my mind went to places like this. This type of stuff in print has to be considered as one of the greatest hits in the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's an entry here in volume two. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> and there you have it. My three entries this week, we'll get to a volume three at some point, my entry into the Jehovah's Witness grab bag, Greatest Hits Volume 2. There's nothing like a peek back into the wisdom, the wise counsel, the publications, and more that come to us from Jesus' guys chosen in 1919. And might I add, all of this wise counsel you heard on the show today is still available on their website. Go take a peek. A rich spiritual heritage, a banquet of a la carte menus that proves that those nine guys in New York are God's obvious choice to lead the rest of us to salvation. I hope you enjoyed my take in a limited time period this week. There you have it. In conclusion, I just want to say I raise my glass to each of you even as I stifle a sneeze. But, well, I do have to go to the bathroom now. So with that, <laughs> I want to say thank you for being here. I appreciate all the comments and feedback. This is a silly episode. Wherever you may be, be well. Oh, and, and you know what? Bless you. We'll see you next week.